each week we're going to have different creative tie-ins to our series like this. And, and the, the Advent series is remember, remember. And that, that word, remember, in Hebrew uh, is the, the base of the word Zechariah, the name Zechariah. And the name Zechariah comes from the Hebrew word Zakar. Everybody say Zakar. Meaning, remember. The name Zechariah specifically means that the Lord remembers. And thank God that the Lord remembers the things that he promises. The Lord remembers all the things that he has promised to his people. God also calls his people to remember the things that he has done for us. Deuteronomy 6.12, which we're going to look at this morning, says, Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And of course, this was one of the great tragedies of the story of Israel, is that they forgot. There were generations that forgot what God had done for them. And it's as important for us to remember what God has done as it was for them uh, back in that time. 2018 marks the 175th anniversary of Parker Ford Church. And actually, uh, I've been studying Parker Ford history quite a bit this year. And the story of Parker Ford Church goes back sometime before that date. So if you were to, to uh, look at the original date of Parker Ford Church, uh, when, when a group of people desired to start praying about planting Parker Ford Church, it's over 200 years, well over 200 years at this point, which is pretty cool. As we close out our 175th year, we are setting aside time during Advent to remember what the Lord has done for us both corporately and individually. So this word shows up a number of times, particularly in Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy chapter 5, anybody know what's in Deuteronomy chapter 5? The Ten Commandments. Yeah, that's right. So this is a pretty important piece of scripture. In the Ten Commandments, when it comes to the Sabbath and God's commandment of the Sabbath, notice how he ties in remembrance and Sabbath and the, the concept of Sabbath. It says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. That, you, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall, and this is that word, zakar, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So the point of the Sabbath According to this scripture in the Ten Commandments, the the point of it is so that you have time and space to remember what God has done. And uh, Jay has given a teaching in a couple places. He gave it at our men's retreat recently about how when when we truly rest in Sabbath, what it does is it causes our identity to be remade in the image of God. And so when we re-enter the world of work and the world of toil and the world of being with other people, we're doing so from a standpoint of having been aligned with God's identity. 
And so part of that process, what that, what that is, is when you're in Sabbath rest, whatever that looks like for you, and obviously for us in 2018, that looks very different than it did according to the Mosaic law. We don't have all the same uh, regulations that they had, but the heart of Sabbath is to set aside time specifically to remember what God has done in our lives and among us. Because when we remember his work, we remember who we are. And as we remember his work and remember truly who he's called us to be and who we are, then we can live with authority and and live our lives in a way that's honoring to him. So we can't overemphasize the importance of remembering. And like Jay shared a few minutes ago, a part of our culture in how rapidly we're moving today is as soon as someone's out of our life, as soon as something's done, we have this tendency to just forget. Forget. And I'm a person who doesn't have a strong memory anyways. Uh, When it comes, I don't know why God made me this way, but I remember things according to how they feel, not, not according to facts, which is good in some cases, but can be really problematic in others, especially when you're trying to take a math test or something like that. I remember well how I felt in certain situations, but the details will be fuzzy for me uh, often. And that's been hard, too, as I've moved around the world and moved around the United States multiple times to, to remember. Like, sometimes I lay in bed and try to remember what my childhood house looked like, and I can't remember it. And that's like, that's sad, you know what I mean? I can't remember exactly what it was like because I loved that place. Or I'll try to go somewhere in my mind in a place I used to live, and I'll, like, I'll get to a road and a turn, and then it's blank. And I'm like, oh, I forget how to get there. But the, the importance of remembrance and taking time to remember is just God, God carved that thing into our very DNA, the need for that spiritually, the need for that. And our culture is so bad at honoring is so bad at honoring those who have gone before us. And that's part of the redemptive good side of remembering, is to honor and properly honor. You know, if there's a generational conflict between an older generation and a younger generation and an inability to connect, most likely it's because there's a lack of honor. When there's a lack of honor between two generations, there's a breakdown in the ability for openness and communication to take place. When, I, when I've worked with um, older, older individuals who haven't experienced honor from younger people, whether it's their family, their children, their church, whatever it is, what I've found is that, that the tendency then is to self-protect, to circle the wagons, and say, I'm losing control of all of these things, and so they grab control, and then that frustrates the younger generation, because the younger generation's like, there's new things to experience, there's new places, there's energy and adventure to be had, and so both sides end up getting frustrated and stuck and angry at one another. But what I've experienced in my life time and time again is when I take the time, when, when I see a group of people take the time to honor those, even if, even if there's disagreement about how things should be done or what songs should be sung or silly little things like that, when we take the time to listen and honor, what happens is there's this, there's this open gateway where the older generation can share the wisdom and the treasure and the riches that God has given them. Like the scriptures say, gray hairs are a treasure to the Lord. They're precious. Gray hairs are precious in the sight of 
of the Lord. And so when, when the older generation, and I'm speaking for you, I hope that's all right, a little bit, from a teaching theological standpoint, when the older generation feels honored and loved, there's an openness to change and an openness to experience new things that is closed off when there's a lack of honor. And so if you are younger and you're experiencing frustration, whether it's with your parents or your grandparents or with the institution you're a part of or, or whatever it is, you feel like things won't move forward and the older, whether it's your boss or whoever won't listen to you, start first by honoring them and listening to them. And as you honor and listen to them, 99% of the time, the Spirit of God will open that person's heart and allow you to move forward in a way that's free and beautiful. There's this whole missional thing happening in the church right now. It's been happening forever where it's like, we got to save the youth. we got to save the kids. we got to work hard to saving the kids of this generation. And, and I agree with that. I love kids. I have four of them myself. Obviously, I love kids. And, and, and I want to I care for kids. But what, what the Lord's really been teaching me, um, especially at, at Drexel Hill Church where I served previously, and here, both churches which have the great gift of being intergenerational, and there's old and young, and that's, that's a great gift because not every church has that. Um, and when, when a church doesn't have that, they're missing something. They're, they're deeply missing something. So that's a beautiful thing about this body. Um, but what the Lord has been teaching me is that as... as if there's a younger generation who's willing to honor the older generation and slow down sometimes and just take time to remember and listen, that it actually opens things up on the other end to move faster than you could have. So I had a friend who started a church plant at the same time I did at Drexel Hill, and it was the same idea where he was replanting a church. And he's a great guy, awesome guy, but he came in guns a-blazing, and was just like, we're going to do this, 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 and this. And then they just got stuck for like years. They couldn't move forward because no one was listening to each other. It was just, let's go, let's go, let's do, let's do, let's do all these, these things. And they were great ideas. The man is an amazing leader. I mean, he's got ideas that when he tells me, I'm like, wow, that is incredible. I want to be a part of that. And yet the, their body experienced this, this feeling of being stuck. And then uh, what we did at Drexel Hill it was so cool, and this came from wisdom from those who are older from me. This wasn't from me in any way, but, but the, the, the word from the Lord was, slow down, don't try to do anything, and just listen. Just listen to the older generation. Listen to them. Hear their stories. Hear what they have to say. And then as you receive that and as you listen to that, then you can move forward. And, and we found that to be, I've found that to be true time and time again, that, that God opens the door to move forward as you honor um, Honor those who have gone before. So if honor, if regularly honoring people is not a part of your life, no matter what age you are, it should become a part of your life. It should become a regular part of your life. And, and it doesn't mean that those who have gone before you are perfect. That's not what honor is. That, that's not what honor means. It doesn't mean that you don't recognize the hurt and the pain that perhaps they've caused you. But what it means is that, that you're seeing that they are a child of God, that God loves, and they're worth being listened to, and they're worth being valued. So every time I get together with my grandparents, which isn't as often as I like because they're all in Missouri, I come with a list of like 30 questions I'm going to ask them. And I don't tell them that. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't send them to them ahead of time. 
But in my own heart, in my own mind, I prepare a list of questions because they are honored when their grandchild asks them questions. So they're honored when I ask them about, what was it like when you were in high school? What was it like when, when you got married? What was it like when you bought your first car? What was it, you know, there's a question. Curiosity is such a gift. Like, so, and curiosity is a gift and honor, so use it. So there's this interesting series of things that happens in Deuteronomy 6. And we see that we're called to remember that God has freed us from slavery. And, and Paul says the same things in Romans chapter 6. You were a slave to sin, but now you're free from sin. So live as free from slavery to sin. Um, it repeatedly says, fear the Lord and serve him. And I've been talking a lot about fear recently in here. Just as a side note, it's interesting that in 1 John 4, it tells us that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So what do we do with that? If we're told to fear God, and then we're also told that there is no fear in love, and, and how I've come to learn and understand that is as we fear God, God then says, do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous, for I am the Lord your God. But when we fear anything else, it says, yes, you should be afraid. So when we fear God, he says, don't be afraid. When we fear an idol, it says, be afraid. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. And then the Lord your God is a jealous God. And jealousy, I don't think, is one of our favorite attributes of God. But it's actually vital to our salvation. The Lord your God is a jealous God. Would God have sent his son to save us if he were not jealous for us? Now, our our very salvation is tied up, wrapped up in the fact that God is jealous. You know that that, uh, David Crowder made it famous, but it was written by John Mark McMillan, the song, uh, Oh, How He Loves Us. And the first line of it is, He is jealous for me. Because he's jealous for me, his love's like a hurricane. I'm a tree, and it goes on from there. But the, the love of God is jealous, and thank God that it's jealous. What it's not is envious. 1 Corinthians 13, right? Love does not envy. Isn't that interesting? Love is jealous, but it is not envious. So what does that mean? I was, uh, I was preaching at... Um, at a wedding last weekend, Rachel and Wesley, they're in Hawaii, another one of our couples who went to Hawaii, which is awesome. They're, they're in Hawaii currently, but Rachel and Wesley, I, I officiated their wedding, and their, their service, the theme of it was from 1 John 4. And, and it has this jealousy theme, and it has the, the lack of fear. There's really interesting overplays between Deuteronomy 6 and, and 1 John 4. And, I, and as I was studying that, the Lord added a piece to the puzzle for me that I had never understood before. And the difference between jealous love that's good and godly and, and envious love that, that's selfish and about, about me is fear. Is fear. That's the difference. When I'm afraid of something, when I'm fearing something other than God, my love becomes self-absorbed and envious because I'm self-protecting and I'm thinking about myself. But when I love like God, where I'm fearing him, my love can be jealous, but not fearful, passionate, but not envious. And so I have a jealous love for my wife. None of you are allowed to look at her or speak to her like I am. You're not. And you shouldn't. 
That's a jealous love that's good and God-honoring. And if jealousy were not there, it would be a major problem. If you're not jealous for your spouse, you're in a bad spot. Now, if you're envious, that's a different thing. Because then you're wanting what God has not given you to have. And it's a fear-based love. So we see all of these things in Deuteronomy 6. Watch this. So this is right after the Ten Commandments. And he's reflecting on the Ten Commandments. This is, of course, one of Moses' final speeches before he dies. He says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules or the decree that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. That's just a way of saying every generation is to fear me. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commands, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, and this is called the Shema, it's the famous prayer of, uh, of Israel, the Jewish faith and uh, Christianity, and it's gone from ages, what, did I say it wrong? Oh, it was in Sunday school. I saw multiple people laughing, and I was like, did I say the wrong word? It was in Sunday school. How cool is that? This is the famous prayer. And, and this prayer has, has shaped both the Jewish and the Christian faith almost as much as any scripture um, in, in both the Old and New Testament. Um, this is a prayer that Paul and Peter and all the disciples would have prayed daily. This is, this is a prayer that Jesus himself would have prayed daily. <laughs> It says, hear therefore, um, and it, we're going to get to it in verse 4. O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Oh, just one last note. This is just silly. My sister, my younger sister, doesn't like honey, and I love honey. So I always point this to her and say, my taste buds are more theologically aligned with God <laughs> than yours. Because the description of God's promised land is, is honey. Verse 4, this is the prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this is the, this is the great prayer uh, of, of um, monotheism, that there is only one God. There's only one God. There's no other God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Or how I had Gracie, my five-year-old, memorize it. She goes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is number one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. When Jesus is asked what's the greatest commandment, what does he say? He says this prayer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, day and night, this is to be constantly in your heart and on your lips. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates and Orthodox Jews still practice the, this physically, where they wear these things, these, these verses, these commandments on, on themselves in the very garb. But I, there, there's a spiritual invitation here 
for us as the people of God to not just like physically put it on us, although that can be fine, and by all means put this verse in your house, you know, and do, do that, by all means do that, but, but what the Lord is truly inviting is, is for us, our, our temples, this is our temple, right, that, the God, that in the New Testament we are the temple of God, that, that we embody this, that we, we make it such a part of ourselves that we just live it out daily. All right, and here's where we're going to get into the remember stuff. And when the Lord God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord. In other words... When you have prosperity, you will have a tendency to forget. Has there ever been a more prosperous place than the place that you and I live in? Not many. I mean, we are blessed beyond 99% of what humans have experienced when it comes to physical things. And there is a tendency... A material blessing to forget what God has done because our trust comes and goes with that. If God gives me this, he must love me. <laughs> but then he gives it to you and you forget all about him. You forget all about him. This is the human, this is a human condition, the condition of our souls. So take care. Take care lest you forget the Lord. Verse 12, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. And by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. So we're to fear God, we're to remember God, and remember in Him, remember him, what His mighty work among us. And when we remember God, what it stirs within us is reverence and awe, which is the true definition of what fearing God is, reverence and awe. So when we remember God, our souls are stirred by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, by the remembrances of what He's done to fear Him. And when we fear Him, we can receive His jealous love. And as we receive His jealous love, and as we properly fear Him, He takes our fear and removes it so that our love is not an envious love, but is actually a selfless, jealous love like His. And this is why Jesus takes from Leviticus... Love your neighbor as yourself, and takes this prayer from Deuteronomy, and he actually puts them together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and what? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So Jesus combines the jealous, fearless love of God with this concept, this command of loving neighbor, and he puts them together in a way that no one else ever had that we know of, And he combines the two things, and and he says, this is actually what the love of God looks like. It's beautiful. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul is writing to a group of people uh, that he doesn't know. 
And um, he's, he's talking about uh, wanting to share the riches of the love that, that God has, has shared with him. And he says in verse 9 of chapter 1, And so, from the day we heard, heard about what God was doing among you, heard about what God was doing, we have not ceased to pray for you. We have not stopped praying for you from the day that we heard about your salvation, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So God, in Jesus Christ, has qualified you to share in the inheritance of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. Go down the list. All the great saints, we in Christ have been qualified to share in their same inheritance. And then verse 13. If you're going to have one verse in the Bible memorized, memorize this verse. I mean, if you're, going to, if you're going to have one that you know just backwards and forward, know this verse. It will be such a, a companion to you throughout your life. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. If you can know that and you can believe that and you can live in that, you'll have such freedom as you walk and live. He has delivered us from the domain, and of course the imagery is slavery in Egypt. That's the domain of darkness. Slavery to sin. He has delivered us. Remember this. Remember this, church. Remember this, child of God, that he has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son. That is where you live. That is where you belong. That is your true identity. And when you return to the darkness, you're not being who you are. You're being who you were. Just like Israel was tempted to return to Egypt for help. And God says in Deuteronomy, later in Deuteronomy, he says in 17, when you are tempted to go back to Egypt and ask for help, which they did multiple times in the Old Testament, don't do it because you're returning to where I delivered you out of. And when we in Christ return to the ways of our former selves, when we return to the darkness, to the shame, to the doubt, to the sin, to the lack of remembrance, the lack of fear of God from which he delivered us, we are returning to that which he transferred us out of. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. And what is redemption? The forgiveness of sins. So what I want to offer you this morning is this gift of learning how to remember. Learning how to remember. And throughout the rest of our Advent series, we're going to remember different things. We're going to take a week to focus on remembering bad things. Because the human tendency is to pick up the proverbial rug and sweep them under and put the rug down and pretend like they weren't there. And yet God calls us to honestly look at the things that have gone wrong in our lives. The things that the ways we've sinned, the ways we've wronged, and not not to dwell on it, but to look at it honestly, and and say, that was a real part of my life, <laughs> and 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 
And when we share those things, this is Psalm 78. In Psalm 78, it says, don't hide the dark things from your children. We're actually called to take those things and tell our children. You know, son, when I'm talking to my seven-year-old son, when I was your age, I really struggled with this. Because he actually receives freedom when he experiences his father's story, who struggled with the same things he struggled with, and then he knows oh, this is very normal, and this is what God does in these situations. And so when we share the dark things that we've wrestled with, it actually gives freedom to those who are walking behind us. So don't hide the things that you struggle with. Be honest about it. Those who love darkness, stay in the darkness. Those who love the light, take their struggles into the light. So we're going to look at that. We're going to look at what it means to honor people who have gone before us, and we're going to honor the resurrection. Because that's the most important thing to remember, is the resurrection. So these are the things we're going to be remembering in the coming weeks. So remember that God has freed you from slavery. Remember to fear him and serve him. Remember that as you fear God, that his promise stands sure, that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So as you fear God, his perfect love, God is love, takes that fear and removes it so you don't have to live a fearful life. And when he does that, you can receive his jealous love, which is not envious because love does not envy. It is a love that is without fear, and it is appropriately jealous, like a wife for her husband, like a father for his son, like a friend for a friend. Not an envious love, but a jealous love. Love that is fearful is envious, but love that has no fear is jealous, like God's love. Let's take a moment and just invite you to reflect. Praise team, you can come up. And just invite the Lord to, to teach you or to lead you into a place of honor and remembrance this morning. What would God, in this season of Advent, what, what would the Lord put on your heart? Who would the Lord put on your heart to remember that they've gone before you and to honor them, to ask them questions, to learn about them, to learn their perspective? What, what is it that God wants to teach you about remembering the fact that you have been transferred out of the domain of dark? Never forget that. Never forget where God brought you from. What does the Spirit of God bring to mind when, when you hear those words, when you pray in your spirit, Lord, what do you want me to remember about what you've done for me? I remember how fearful I was as a young child. I was scared to swim. I was scared to climb trees. I was scared to go over to friends' houses um, and spend the night. I remember the first time I did a sleepover, I had to call my mom to come pick me up because I was scared in the middle of the night. Like, I, I, for some reason, there was this like, very natural tendency within me towards fear. And there are times where I still feel afraid, but man, God's done a work in my life where he's delivered me from that. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I don't want to go back to that. (laughs) I'm prone to go back to that, but I don't want to. I want freedom from that because you've transferred me from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your son. God, I pray that that same conversation for each individual in here. What has God saved you from? Remember that. Celebrate it. And honor those who are walking before you. Honor, Honor the Lord. Receive his jealous love without fear. God, we bless you, and I pray that each person in here would experience your touch this morning, the intimacy of your spirit doing these things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and close our time in worship.